Are you ready to start being visible? Well, you have come to the right place. Welcome to the Start Being Visible podcast. My name is Mildred Talabi. I've spent most of my working life mastering the art of personal branding in my career as a former journalist and communications professional and in my business, which has taken on various forms over the years. I now spend my time championing and coaching women to increase their influence, income and impact through being visible on platforms like LinkedIn and beyond. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing with you my insights into the journey to be invisible, as well as bringing you amazing, candid conversations with female leaders who have chosen to step out of the shadows and into the limelight in their work lives. Now, I want you to hit the subscribe button and get ready to start your own journey to be invisible with today's episode. Well, hello, hello, hello. Good evening and welcome to today's episode of Start Being Visible. And if this is your first time tuning in, hello and welcome. This is a podcast that's all about empowering and inspiring women to become visible in your own work lives, whether that's in business or in your career. So I'm going to give her a bit of an intro before I invite her to the stage. And I'm going to read some of her official bio, and then I'm going to give you the unofficial stuff when she comes onto the stage. But I am really, really pleased to have her on the show because in the studio with me today is the very wonderful, very lovely Elaine Rule. Now, Elaine is the owner of the multi-award winning luxury cake supplier, Designer Cakes of London which has featured in seven national and international-based magazines, including a feature in Vogue. Her brand boasts many, many high-end celebrity clients, including Usain Bolt, Floyd Mayweather, Kylie Kardashian, Karl Lagerfeld, Joby Joyce, and so much more. She also has corporate clients, which include the US Marine, Star Wars UK, Amazon, BBC, Alexandra McQueen, Tower of London, House of Commons, Chanel UK, Netflix, and ITV. In addition, Designer Cakes of London is also the marked cake supplier for London Duchester Hotel, The Shard, and for London Ritz. Wow, that is quite a resume. But guess what? Before she started her bespoke cake making business, Elaine enjoyed a career in data and statistics as the Associate Director for Cantor UK before she retired in 2001. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty curious about how you can go from data and statistics to cake making. So please help me welcome to the stage, Elaine Rule. Hello, Elaine. Hello, Mildred. What an intro. I feel like you're talking about somebody else. Oh, my God. Yes, I am. I am talking about someone. That's you, a fantastic, awesome woman who has many talents, and we're going to talk about all of it. I'm so glad to have you on the show today, and I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> I know. I, honestly, I'm mega excited. Really, really excited about this. I've been looking forward to it all day. Oh, I love that. And, and, and especially because I know that, Elaine, you don't love being visible so much. You don't love being in front of the scene. Now, Elaine and I go way back. We first connected many, many decades. Oh, my God. Even saying decades is kind of scary how quickly time has gone. But 
We connected in church and you were like, Elaine's like, was like a big sister to me, you know, really, really awesome woman. And at the time though, Elaine, you were in a completely different field. You were a statistician and now you've got this successful cake making business. So talk to us, take me back there where we left off. Let's pretend we're catching up like old friends. What, what happened with the business, statistician business field, and then you transitioned. But tell me about what your career was like at that point. Yes. So, um, so I was with cancer for 10 years and I, and I loved it. I was so comfortable in that job. It was unbelievable because it was a job wherein I think I was almost at about four times in its six year period. So what were you like growing up and what got you interested in maths and numbers, statistics? I hate that word, by the way, it really trips me up all the time. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Nobody, people don't even know there's such a thing as a statistician. But uh, because most people didn't even like stats at school, let alone become a statistician. To be honest, at school, I was, nobody knew what to do with me because I'm academically strong, but I was good at a variety of things. Like I was good at maths, but I was also good at things like home economics. I remember we had to cook, I don't remember what it was. And I had the top marks. So the teachers literally had no idea what to do with me. What I wanted to be was a um, British Airways hostess because I like the outfits. And my dad made it clear to me that wasn't going to happen. So I didn't choose maths. They did because they didn't know any, they didn't know what to do with me. And my dad thought it will be, considering the fact that the view was for me to migrate into Britain, my dad thought that it would be quite a distinctive profession for black female. And you know, I wish it was a lie for me to say to him he was right. Because I really, for me, being a black female in my role was a plus. It wasn't a minus. I mm. was really celebrated because it was a unique position. Most mathematicians or statisticians are mature white men. So mm. being a black female tossing around with high heels, you really stand out. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I know you were walking around with high heels because I know that's your wardrobe. Okay, so you didn't grow up here. You were you were born in Sierra Leone, is that right? Yeah. And then you came over to the UK at what age? At age 19. Okay, and that was to study? Yes, that was to go into university. Okay, so you've come here to study, to go and study maths uh, on, the, mm -hmm. on the advice of your parents, and you somehow fall in love with it, and then you end up getting a career as a, in the world of statistics and really thriving there. Tell us about the pathway. What was the journey like from there um, once you got into it? Oh, once I got into it, I was obsessed. It's funny, exactly how I am with cakes is how I was um, then, because I'm in so many offices, I would they would literally give me the keys because I was like the first person in, and it made sense for me to have the keys rather than the cleaners, because I'll usually get in before the cleaners. I was known for getting to work at 6.45. That was like standard, even though, mm -hmm. you know, normally the office, official office hours were nine, was nine o'clock. So I was very, very, very committed. I mean, I literally became the youngest, they used to say to me, you are the youngest director in this company. And being black female, that was quite an achievement. I was very, very committed, like, mm -hmm. like obsessive le level of commitment. And mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I grew really, really quickly by, I think, age 35, even before age 35 in those days. For it, Sometimes it's easier to grow in smaller companies. In the company I worked for, like Kanta, you don't grow that quickly because it's a massive corporation. 
and every they bet you know it's so competitive it's unbelievable i remember once they were passing around this it was they weren't passing around cancer became really engulfed in race equality and they wanted to speak to the black people within the company to understand our specific personal experience of being black within the company and i remember when the forms went out everybody looked at me and think you cannot even think about any writing anything bad in that form because everybody that i started with i was more senior than i was basically most of them i was their boss even though we all started at the same time i've grown more than them <laughs> i've won awards so they were like i am very keen to see what you love to say about racism as you can imagine i didn't have much to say so uh, in answer to your question i grew really quickly within mm -hmm. that sector to me that made it harder because for the most part people are inspired to start their business or do their own thing because they're not happy in their roles Mm -hmm. So I feel like for me, that even made me stay longer in my job than I would have. It's, I'm, I'm surprised that I looked at anything else because I was mm -hmm. very happy. I was traveling a lot. It's a well-paid job. You know how we demand and supply, how they go hand in hand. Because statisticians mm -hmm. are so rare, if you are one, they will pay you well. Mm -hmm. So I had every reason to stay, which is why I look at myself all the time. I think I can't believe I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But what was driving you? So you said you were getting there at 645 and all kinds of things. What was that about? Was it that you wanted to prove yourself or, or what? What, what, was, what was behind all of that kind of thing you were doing? Honestly, I think I like the idea of making a lot of money. I like the idea of not being in a position to say, I can't afford this and I can't afford that. I'm not going to lie mm -hmm. to you. That was a huge driver because I, I, I can smell what I can achieve if I was successful. I, will, I can see clear as crystal. But mm -hmm. also I came from a, a, a home of very, very ambitious parents. I mean, my mom, I think if I live till I'm 100, I'll never be able to achieve what my mom achieved. My mom was just unbelievable in terms of her achievements and she's mm -hmm. my, my role model. So I think I came from very ambitious, successful parents. So mm -hmm. that was more than likely embedded in me as a child. But it's also very interesting because that is the reason why I'm so surprised that I'm in business. Come on, I came from a culture wherein business people were not successful. Business mm -hmm. people who are successful were not locals. So if a local said to you when I was a little girl that I'm in business, it meant the person was like a hustler. I didn't have a positive perspective of business growing up because my parents came from an academic background and then they went into the corporate world. So your parents, so they weren't business people, they were um, in the career space. What did your mom and dad do? What, what kind of legacy did they leave for you to carry on with? Oh, well, my dad was the governor of the bank for the country, which was a very senior prestige position, as you can imagine. My mom was head of customs and excise, but she broke so much. She was the first female ever in the whole country to head a division like that because you must remember that's a very sexist let's say mm. culture so she she broke a lot of records she was because uh, Leon under up until 1969 was under british colony so the school system was under british colony and my mom was the first person that inside and they have a thing called double promotion which means mm -hmm. i don't know if you have it in nigeria you skip a class and you go to the next class so she mm -hmm. moved from like class three to class five, but she was the first person ever that got the Sierra Leonean government to write a letter to the to you to the UK commission to start mm -hmm. doing what today's double promotion. So she was the first double promotion person in the whole of the country. So they were very 
they came from a strong academic background and they were very successful as individuals and just like a power couple collectively. So mm -hmm. I think coming from that background kind of influences you without you even mm -hmm. realizing the influence. So, okay, so there, there's that strong influence from your parents. And you mentioned also like that you wanted to make money. You are actually one of the very first people that taught me the whole value of money. I'll never forget, we, we went out for um, lunch or something one day many, many years ago. And you said something to me that I've never forgotten since then. And you might not remember you said this, but you were like, this is how you should measure how much you should earn. You, you said that you should always earn more than your age. You know, yeah. so your salary should always be more than your age. I must have been like 20 something at the time and earning peanuts, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I was like, right, I got to fix up because I am not represented here. You know, I, was, I wasn't all of that thing of, ooh, passion, passion. You know, the money is important, but passion, passion. As you've demonstrated, have both the passion and the money. So where did that healthy appreciation of money come from? Because so many people, especially women, have a really bad relationship with money. And it's almost like it's something that you shouldn't talk about, something you shouldn't desire. Where did all that come from for you? Was that your parents' influence as well? No, actually, because my parents, it's funny, my parents were successful, but not as much. I'll tell you where it came from. When I first came into Britain during those years of studying, even after studying, it was really painful to me to watch friends who I thought were clever. They had so much going for them. And all the things that I knew I can afford to do, they cannot do. It really left a negative impact on me. This is when, I mean, I'm talking exiting university those first few years. I love traveling. I wanted to me going to France or Italy. That's not a holiday to me. To me, unless I'm in a flight for like 12 hours, like <laughs> holiday is a proper holiday. And it was really shocking to me how many of my girlfriends, who in my opinion were smarter than me, in my opinion, they had everything that should make them complete and successful. Most of the things we wanted to do, they just couldn't afford to do. I hated that word. I cannot afford to. I, I started to have a really bad relationship with that word. I hated it. Those early years watching my friends live in this, in my opinion, very limiting life because they couldn't afford to do so much. And I thought, what's the point of, you know, all the studying and working? Mm -hmm. So I think that's where that was coming from. That's that experience of that early 20s going into 30s, just hearing that more, that raised more than I care to. And you were also like, as you said, you went to the office in high heels and stuff. Again, one of my most memorable impressions of you, you were always well-dressed and you still are, <laughs> you know? And, and I have a confession and you're so generous as well. I remember you gave me a Chanel bag and me not knowing anything about the value. I was like, oh, it's a nice bag, but I'm not, it's not really my style. I didn't even know it was Chanel real. I didn't know anything about what Chanel was worth. I went and sold it on eBay. Years later, I realized, I was like, oh my gosh, Mildred, what did you do? <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't grasp what, oh no. I really no. should have said. But, but I do, I really honestly love the confidence that you radiate around money and who you are and knowing your value in a sense of, I can command this pay and you know, not letting that limit what you do in life. So when you were making this transition from a career into business, that must have come up in your head. But before I ask you that, was it a deliberate transition? Did you always have in the back of your mind, I'm going to start making cakes at some point as a business? You know, honestly, I wish. 
making cake as a business could not have every time I look at myself thinking how, how should I get here no the answer is a very solid no not in my wildest I had a negative um, um, relationship with business I didn't like business for me business is for hustlers I used to look at businesses and think why do people want to go into this why not get your stable job you've got your income coming in I used to look at people wanting business like almost like they're a little bit crazy like they're like um, they're like exhibiting loser behavior believe me when I tell you this is not my my business grew before my mental positioning I was catching up playing catch up with my business I had no choice. It's as if the business opened the doors for me to walk in. Otherwise, mm -hmm. that would never happen. So that's a very solid no. I, I promise you, I know the answer to that one. No. Wow. So what was the process? How did it happen then? Tell me. Okay, so there I was. I'm very happy with myself. I mean, I cannot say I'm confident. I, it's funny, I don't even live on that confidence anymore. I was so confident in those days. I had my job going. I was a newlywed. As far as I'm concerned, life was lovely. It was dandy. I'm just riding along. And then one day, it was New Year's Eve. And mm -hmm. it was at church. We were at Docklands at the time. Were we at Docklands? No, we were at that church in it. We were at that, is that Monday I wrote that funny side place. And on New Year's Eve, somebody decided that we should make snacks and pass out so that people are not rushing off after service. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even there at this point. Plenty went to the front of the queue and put my name down that I will make cupcakes. Even though he has never once in seen me make cupcakes, what possessed him can only be God to say mm -hmm. he's going to go put my name down. And I, I'll tell you what he did. As we were in the car, as casual as anything, he just said to me, oh, by the way, <laughs> I told him I'd be making cupcakes on New Year's Eve. I'll tell you something. It was a very long ride home. I was so upset with him. Words cannot explain. Because as far as I'm concerned, I think this was like the Sunday before Christmas, kind of like mm -hmm. Christmas Eve kind of Sunday. And as far as I'm concerned, New Year's Eve is a day when I'm not a late person, I'm an early person. Mm -hmm. Late is not my thing. I wake up like four o'clock in the morning, even if I'm on holidays. I'm an early riser. Mm -hmm. So my thinking is for me to survive New Year's Eve service, I need to sleep during the day because I'm not a late person. I'm aware mm. that I usually struggle New Year's Eve. And I started telling him, I said to him, you're going to ruin my New Year's Eve now because now I can't sleep, which is what I would much rather do. Complain, mm. complain, whine and whine. Little did I know that God was opening the door to something which I never thought would happen. Mm. So the reality is I ended up making these cupcakes and Mildred, did I enjoy making these cupcakes? Honestly, it was like, so therapeutic, so mm. different from that figure and intenseness and speed. I decorated those cupcakes like they, they were for the queen. I mean, every mm. effort. And when I went to church, people were so, people were shocked. First of all, they couldn't even believe I made it. And I felt so good that people got to see this other side to me. They loved mm. the taste of it. They loved the way it looked. People were literally fighting. I mean, after such people came to me and complained that Clinton and Chesterfield, you know Chesterfield in our church, they were the yeah. servants of these cupcakes. Yes. <laughs> Clinton and Chesterfield didn't give them any, even though they told Clinton to save. I mean, people were really getting pushed about these cupcakes, including men, which got my attention because I don't associate men so much with fighting over cupcakes. So that's what, in answer to your question, that's what it is. And I was very strongly instructed to come back with a batch the following mm -hmm. Sunday, because Clinton didn't do the serving and distribution well. <laughs> so next thing you know, the next Sunday I was making cupcakes, and it's hard to believe it, 
Mm. But nobody else but you and Tamisha. I mean, it would honestly, when you got that call for me, it was so sweet because I thought, I don't normally do these things, as you know, but mm -hmm. for Mildred, I had to say yes. Because you are a part of my business. I don't think you would realize it. You and Tamisha said to me, you need to post what you're doing on Facebook. and on Because in those days, I wasn't on Facebook. I'm thinking, mm -hmm. I don't even like the camera. Why would I be on Facebook? So, and you and Tamisha advised me to put it on Facebook. And then mm -hmm. there you go. I got my first client, which was you. You had a birthday cake. <laughs> you had a birthday cake, a birthday coming, and you were like, "Oh, you know, you should do a cake." And I didn't want to make the cake. I think I'm thinking, you know, about a cake. He goes, "Oh, I'm sure you'll be fine." And then you said to me, "Worst case scenario, if you mess it up, it's me." I always remember you said that. And yeah. it's like, you know what? She has a point because she's like your friend. Worst case scenario, you mess it up. What can happen? Mildred did not have a cake. It's not you're not going to die over it. Mm -hmm. And in a cut to your long story short, that's how my business started. We took yeah. your cake to a restaurant in Stratford. I always remember that. And mm. the man was like, I love this cake. Do you have a business card? So I took his mm. number and I called him. And I think we got about two orders from that one guy, the, the mm. gentleman who was at the desk for your mm. birthday. And that was the beginning of my business. So I had clients before I even had a business card. I had to play, I've had to play catch up with the business. Wow. And that cake was amazing. It, oh, was amazing. it looked great, but it also tasted great. I did not want to cut it. I just wanted to look at it, <laughs> you know, and keep it displayed. So, wow. Um, I didn't know. I honestly didn't know that that's how the business kickstarted. That's so, how it started. Were you baking like casually at home for Clinton at home prior to that cupcake thing at church? I think I made him a cake either once or twice when we were dating. The, funny enough, the, the baking side, I had confidence in because my mom, she was six. By age, I've tell people this, by age five, I was peeling onions. By age 12 to 13, I could cook a cake or smell. My mom, she's that typical old school African. If I'm in the kitchen, you don't need to be anywhere else. So mm -hmm. the baking part, funny enough, is the bit that came easy to me. The decorating mm -hmm. part, I think, was a gift. So in answer mm -hmm. to your question, the odds I would have baked the odd cake here and there, but mainly for just myself or Clinton, just like small audience, not for like mass production. Okay, so so this happens and you're getting all this excitement around your cake. Mm -hmm. What was the transition? At what point did you realize that, oh my gosh, I have a business here? Well, the interesting thing with this, after I did your cake, I think I had about two or three bath, um, birthday cakes. And then this lady who was at one of the birthday cake events that I made, because now I've moved from you now, somebody that I know I'm familiar with, to making cakes for people I don't know, which you must imagine now your brain is now trying to transition. And she called me wanting her to make her wedding cake. And I think it was her auntie or so, to call me, to talk me into making their wedding cake. Because what it is, is she tasted the cake. What was dry? Mm -hmm. I said, I've never made a wedding cake before. But she liked the taste. She wanted that taste at her mm -hmm. wedding. So in the end, Cut long story short, I made a nice three-tier cake for her, which worked. But in answer to your question, I think making that wedding cake really then my view of the business, I started thinking this could be a business, but this was my thinking. My thinking was mm -hmm. at that time where we were living, there were lots of kids. We had a lot of kids going around. I mean, I didn't know them a lot, but I know that it was, an, it was a very child-friendly environment. Most of the parents had kids. So mm -hmm. I thought, okay, I can open this small little business and it can just be for like this little square, like the area where we live. 
And then if any of the kids are having like a party or anything like that, I could make something small for them. And on the other occasion, I have somebody like this lady wanting a wedding cake, then I can do that. So I thought to myself, this would be the perfect side hustle for me to just have this small thing, it's me for a little square. And then if anything outside of that comes up, then I will do it. So I had that mindset, but then it was really weird. That was all happening when I was putting it on Facebook. And I started getting orders. But then something distinctive happened. I wasn't just getting orders. I think about order number nine, 10, I noticed a shift. Mm-hmm. The inquiries were not coming. I think this came there, two or three cakes that I posted on Facebook, almost like something like a bedroom or something. I was looking at, because then Clinton was like, you need to have, you know, like Excel, where you're writing down your orders, just make notes. And I remember about order number 15, I started realizing that I was getting orders from people who the cakes were not for them. I was getting mm-hmm. orders from like years or secretaries. Mm-hmm. And I start, by the time I got to order number 20, it became very clear to me what was happening. I was attracting high-end clients. Mm-hmm. Because the cakes were so detailed, I've moved from like, of course, you're high-end as well. You are the very first high-end client. Gosh, hello. <laughs> I think it was like Deutsche Bank. So, something like that. Then I thought, no, 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 no. Because about when I went after that gentleman in your restaurant for your birthday, Clint said to me, just do like a cheap business card. You know, like there was a company called, I think it called something like Visa Print or Vista Print Vista or some print. kind of thing. Everyone had a Vista Print card at yes. some point. <laughs> you don't have time. Just find like the most cheap, you can decide what you're going to do later. I was like, all right, all right. So then when I started realizing I was getting, I think it was like Deutsche Bank that did it for me. I thought, okay. Mm-hmm. For starters, no more Vista prints or whatever, because I normally include my business card on the cake. Mm-hmm. And I called a company and I said I need a professional looking card because it looks like I'm attracting professional people. That's why I gave you the background about what my goal was, where I wanted to take this. But the plan was different. And I thought, okay, get something solid here. Get something serious. Cut long story short. By order number 3040, it became crystal clear to me that my clients were not even locals. I was getting beginning to get clients from like Central London offices. Wow. Mm-hmm. So by then my business, when I said, and then I'm thinking, okay, at that point, then I think you need to have a website. And my website right from that point, I targeted that upper class audience, which mm-hmm. meant I lost some of the locals because I thought your price need to match the audience you're attracting. And because nobody was contesting the prices, to me, these look like very expensive cakes. But when mm. I told people what the cost were, people were not contesting it. Not only were they not mm. contesting it, they were reordering. Because you had offices where maybe they were ordering the first cake for someone's birthday. And then I became the cake supplier whenever there was a party in that office. Mm. It was never my goal to go into the luxury sector. My business and my clients, because I'm all, to me, I always feel like it's good to listen to clients. Every business decision I've made have come yeah. for my clients. My clients have escorted me into every area of my business. My mm-hmm. clients more or less chose the name of the company mm-hmm. because initially I wanted to do that classic thing, Elaine's cakes. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, okay, start writing down what people are saying because people will take the cake and they will say things. Mm-hmm. And I realized the most common word that people were using was 
this is designer type of cakes. Ooh, this is designer style. Mm. So to an extent, my clients chose that word. And then I thought, okay, I didn't want to make an emotional decision. But when I started making decisions, I realized that maybe I was better than business than I gave myself credit for. Mm-hmm. Because I thought, because I think one of the things that mathematics taught me how to do was to bag emotions. I can mm-hmm. bag my emotions very, very easily because mathematicians are very clinical. You know, like doctors, it's it's about the figures. We don't, we're not emotional typically. Mm-hmm. So I was able to bag those emotions and make strategic decisions. Mm-hmm. I in okay, what words can I pull together? Because I thought, okay, this business is clearly not going to be a friends and family business. Because my clientele is, they're telling me that. It's, when I look at the list of clients, I don't know these people. This is not friends and family, which is what I thought my business would. These are not my neighbors. So I thought, okay, I need Google to know who I am. Because by that point, I was a website guy. So when we finished the website, those days people took a long time to make websites. It's not like today. Talking about 10 years ago now. Mm-hmm. They said to me, we're going to do a website which we will do SEO for you after so people can see your Google. But by then, for some reason, people were seeing me. So I thought, mm-hmm. okay, I also need a name that Google, people looking for cakes in London will be able to find me. So I thought, okay, you're making cakes. So at that point, I was very local. So find a name that was going to incorporate cake designers, mm-hmm. the fact that your cake was designer style, and the other most of your clients are going to be coming from London. So that's how the word designer cakes of London came up. It was a very strategic move. And boy, mm. I think that's the biggest asset of my, that of all the business decisions, the odds are that was the best decision. Because if wow. you go online, you're looking for a cake designer in London, I come up. Wow. It's so easy for people to find me on Google. And that for me was the name of the company. And also mm. the name comes across, it makes the luxury element easy. I have clients mm. who say to me, like you, they receive the cake and they upset. Oh, I thought you were going to put your branding on the cake. You know, they want they, they, my branding is on the packaging. <laughs> mm. It's not on the, like the cake. Now I do. It's not on like the cake board. So I realized mm. I started having clients who they like the sound of the of the company name, and they want that on their product. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's how we move. But it wasn't my plan to go into the luxury market. It was my clients who took mm. me there, and I think I was really yeah. blessed to make that switch quick early enough from mm-hmm. okay you, need to, you know put the emotions aside and make that business move i think that was a blessing i love that so many business lessons and so you've just set up like a million and one question and thoughts in my head this conversation is likely going to go over an hour it's inspirational i think there are some things that you said here first of all really word of mouth is essentially yeah. what kind of got your business going. In order for that to happen, you had to have a quality product in the first place. Now, mm-hmm. there's so many, this is no disrespect to cake makers, but pretty much everyone is either a cake maker or knows a cake maker, right? So it's like, it, it's a, it's quite a, a common side hustle that people do. I cannot bake to save my life. So I am not, <laughs> I am not one of them, you know, but it's like to make a name for yourself in a field that is so saturated is a massive achievement. So there's some elements of it that were strategic, like you said, the name, Well, that came after cake number 3040. What I want to know is the thought process. So at the time when you're doing cake number 10, 11, 12, etc. Did you start earning more from your cake than you did in your day job before you made that jump and leave the day job to go full-time into cake? 
Yeah, that, that's a very good question. The biggest jump was the cake that we did for Usain Bolt. Because the cake that we did for Usain Bolt was almost like something that was happening, but that put a stamp on it. Tell us about that, by the way. Um, Usain Bolt's birthday cake. But I think that puts a stamp. That made Google think, okay, who are these people? That really did escalate me. But in terms of that move, million, I'll be honest with you, that stigma of that business people are hustlers, they're never going to be as successful as that carried me. It was that, that stayed with me much longer than it should have. I was in a position to leave my business a long time before I did. I had, because I came from that mentality of regular income, stable job. When I look at my parents, when I look at all the successful people around me, they all had that stable job. I wasn't even thinking of doing my business full time. Believe me, I, I wasn't. God literally had to push me out of my job. I, when, you know, I remember I used to do the entrepreneur club. And people would say to me, why are you still working? Can I just say, my job, you've got to believe me when I tell you this. You know, they're giving some kind of prize or some kind of award for the best job. I will write an essay on my job. Mm. I absolutely love my job. By that point, I've done all the hard work. So I was in a very senior role, which meant this. I had a number of people under me who I was, I, I had become the person that they want to impress. Rather than me going to work and working hard and looking for that pay rise and looking for that good appraisal, I became that person. So I log on in the morning and people are like, oh, do you need any help today? Can I help you with this? Can you check? I literally did less work mm. <laughs> the most you get, which is so true. So mm. I love my job. I was earning well. I got to do the things I wanted to do. My team was amazing. We were doing well as a team. We were one of the biggest earners within our division. So my job was so amazing that I stayed. I couldn't see the benefit of that change will bring more value to my business. I couldn't see it because I was so comfortable in my job. Mm. It's like I would have, people don't resign from a job like that. So I, I got to a point when I literally thought, this is it. You know what I mean? You, had, you have to leave. So from an income perspective, before I made that change, the first thing I did is, it's so easy to think of the plus, i.e. I need to make sure I'm making enough money, at least my income. I don't know if my income was a goal so much because I had a lot of disposable income in my income. So mm -hmm. my original goal was, listen, doesn't matter how much money you're going to make with your business, doesn't matter what, bring your expenses down. That was something my mom talked me. My mom said, it's so quick for people to look for more money. They don't evaluate their current spend. So before I left, I, I made that change. Anything that I didn't need, I removed from my expenses. I bought my monthly expenses very, I had no debts and nothing like that. My monthly expenses were so low that even if the business came to a standstill, it would take a long time for me to get to a point of suffering. So I prepared myself financially for that. I had funds saved because I thought, worst case scenario, you make that change, nothing coming for months and months. How will you cope? So that bringing my expenses down was a massive part for me. All luxurious things, anything I did, I did that, you know, that clean slate. Mm -hmm. Then I thought, okay, if you feel like you didn't bring that, you can then start to add on. But for now, just clean things, make sure you're not going into debt or nothing like that. And then, you know, so that's in a state question before I left. But I mm -hmm. stayed, I kind of stayed two, three years longer mm -hmm. than I needed to because mm -hmm. I was so happy with my job. Wow, that's so good because a lot of people go into self-employment because they're unhappy with work, they want to express themselves more. It's like you had the best of both worlds. I think you've mentioned this is kind of like feels like a bit of a calling for you in terms of 
the cake making side. Would that be accurate to say that yes. that's that's what it was? And if so, yes. how did you recognize it to be that? Oh, I tell you, it was very simple. Somebody showed up one day and wanted me to teach them what I do. Within minutes, it became very clear to me that it was a gift. Because mm -hmm. what would happen is I'll create this cake and people say, how did you do it? Because I remember I was self-taught. I know for sure that it was a gift because people would even ask me how I did it. And I would struggle to articulate myself. Well, you just put mm -hmm. a cake in front of me and I can replicate it. Or you put something in front of me and I can replicate it so easily as a cake. And when mm -hmm. I attempted to teach somebody else how to do it, it became crystal clear to me that it was a gift. Because the way how I would just get something, others, I realize others. I always feel like I've got the gift of presentation overall. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the cake designing, I genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, feel like it was, it's a gift. I'm not actually surprised that you attracted luxury clients in your cake making. Honestly, it's because that's you. That's always been your brand, you know, whether intentional or not. But for as long as I've known you, that's always been what I associated with your high end luxury, that kind of stuff. And I think sometimes there's an incongruency with business people where, for example, they want high-end clients, but they haven't made high-end investments in themselves. This is the most practical way I can put this. So it, I can say something like, they don't want to pay £100, for example, on a program, but they want someone to pay them 10 k for one of their coaching programs. It's like, it doesn't match. You can't have what you're not. Would you say that that's like a reflection of some kind of truth? Mildred, I cannot agree with you more because you are so on point. And I actually should have mentioned this, especially as Christians. Sometimes we want to go into something that we criticize it. You'll have people who will stand in front of me and tell me, can you teach me how to enter the luxury market? But at the same time, somebody walks in with a designer brand and they have all these negative things to say, or they have all these negative things to, to say about people who like anything designer. You see, God is not going to put you in a position that you hate because like my clients, they walked in, they walk in draped in Chanel and, 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 you know, I, I look at them and I, I have a client who have Louis Vuitton plates. I didn't even know Louis Vuitton does plates. Who goes and buy Louis Vuitton plates? But the reality <laughs> is, I feel like I am comfortable in that environment because sometimes we want to go into something, but are you prepared to deal with those clients that are as such because the luxury market you deal with a certain type of clientele and i'm very familiar with those modes i forget once i was doing like a wedding fair it was wedding fair you go you set up your cakes and i remember i was preparing a client said to me how many cakes are you going to put out and he said oh i think you should put a lot of cakes i remember looking at him and i said i'm going to put three cakes he was shocked because most suppliers who are doing like weddings will have like 10 of their cakes out I don't know if you ever notice when you go to high end, because mm -hmm. I'm, when you go to high end places in a shop, when you go on sale in a cheaper shop, they put everything they have out and these labels on it. When mm -hmm. you go to very high end brands, they don't put a lot of things out. They only put the minimal of what you need because they want you to appreciate each piece. And it's the same way when we were out and I can see, Clinton, my husband's like a hustler and he's, going to, he's enjoying it. Like a salesperson chasing people, giving them cards and doing this and doing that. And I said to Clinton, don't give anybody a card. Because mm -hmm. I, I know how this is, I'm familiar with it. So mm -hmm. I had the card down and if you want it, you come and get it. Because a high-end designer is not chasing you with their product. Because I'm so familiar with designers, it's so easy for me to adapt to that in, in my business. People think I'm joking when I say to people, if you make an inquiry to designer case of London, 
I will give you the answer. If you expect me to chase you, I'm not going to do that because mm -hmm. luxury clad people, they don't, if you call Gucci wanting shoes, Gucci will tell you the price. Gucci's not going to call you the next day. So, oh, by the way, you know that shoes you saw, you call it, do, do you want it? No. As if you're going to go into a luxury market, you have to be ridiculously confident because mm -hmm. that's one of the most quality, the most distinctive quality of high end. It's rare. It's the same way which if I make a cake for a client, I'm not making that same cake for four, five, six clients. Once I've made it for two, three clients, I don't care what I'm paid. That's the end of it. Because the whole point of luxury is you have to be exclusive and distinctive. If you come on, you will lose that in your branding. Mm. So you're right, they go hand in hand. If you can't fit in that environment, or, or I don't mean to be this because people say, I want to go to a luxury market. These people you walk in. They look, this client, they're looking at you from your head to toe. They're looking at how you present yourself to mm. see if they can leave you with their high-end cake. You know what I mean? So it does go hand in hand. And you have to spend high-end. Everything mm. I do, I mean, people think I'm joking when I say I order my icing in from Switzerland. High-end people know high-end. You can't fool mm. them. Mm. You can't just do cheap, 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 cheap. And then when you get to the end, you want an inflated price and say you're luxury. It, they will see right through you. you. You can't do that. So yes, I agree with you completely. Wow. I love that you said you have to have this confidence, you know, mm -hmm. and it has to be radiate from inside. You can't fake it. You either mm -hmm. have it or you don't. I do want to know a little bit about your strategy though. So how did that come about? And then also, how did you go from there to having all these other celebrity clients and now you also supply to like these high-end hotels as well. What was the transition in that process? I think once it registered that my business was not going to be the, my local uh, school kids, once that registered, then you start to think differently, don't you? I start to approach everything differently. And the bold cake, I think within a period of a month after making this bold cake, we did one for two other Olympic champions. Because the funny thing with these things is all you need is the first one. Mm -hmm. And also we didn't just do a cake for Usain Bolt. I did a live interview with ITV News. That gave me so much exposure because it was live six o'clock news. And I literally had people calling me to say, well, my son won a gold medal. If you did one for Usain Bolt, you have to do one for my son as well. It's funny, it kind of like it just snowballs from there. And then mm -hmm. instantly, as you probably know, I was not, an Instagram or Facebook post. I should tell my story about Instagram and Facebook. When I started Instagram, I said, you know, you've been so impactful in my business. I said to you, I don't even remember this. I said, sometimes when I put the cakes, nobody even liked the cakes. And when I showed you the cakes, she goes, Ile, nobody's going to like these cakes. I'm thinking, why? She said, because if I'm scrolling and I see this, I'm not even going to know it's a cake. You said to me, when you post in your personal page, put something that says it's a cake, put like a text or something above the image, and then mm -hmm. put an image of yourself, because as you know, I prefer to stay behind the scene. Mm -hmm. And that made a marked difference for my personal Facebook page. Now, because mm -hmm. I've had now have that knowledge, when I move over to Instagram, I do the same thing. So in answer mm -hmm. to your question, a lot of my celebrity clients, they come, from in, they come from social media, Instagram or Facebook, but mainly Instagram. And mm -hmm. also when I post for, as a business strategy, if you look at, for example, my Instagram, I post internationally. So mm -hmm. when you post on Instagram, typically it will just show your local UK audiences. I promote internationally. Mm -hmm. I would say now about 30 to 30 to 40% of my clients are international. Because what happens is this, you're in central London, 
which means this, and then this is the other thing I should say as well, which is a really good strategy. I'm positioned in central London, even though I don't live in central London. Mm -hmm. So I never forget when the Kardashian, for the Kardashian one, when they call, they call, I love them because you know, the celebrities, of course they can do what they want. So they call it ridiculous hours. I didn't even know why I picked up the phone. And as she called, you know, she said, oh, it's for, it's for her son. They're gonna um, be in London for the Christmas season and they just want to do a cake for the sun. And I said, yes, I said, oh, that's, I was, you know, she, she was scared out because a lot of celebrities, they don't tell you mm -hmm. it's a celebrity until the morals paid. And they're like, mm -hmm. oh, can you say happy birthday? This person, I'm thinking, what? Mm -hmm. But for the Kardashians, they told me, she told me straight out. Mm -hmm. And then I said to her, oh, that's amazing. I said, what you do this is just so you're familiar with her work. I'm going to send you her Instagram and Facebook. She goes, no, 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 no. We already, we follow you on Instagram. And I listened that to me. I almost fell off my chair when she said it. So in answer to your question, the strategy is, my target is international. I don't just target local because it will shock you how many people gift cakes. I'd say about maybe 40% of my business are not individuals ordering cakes for themselves. It's a cake gift. So somebody yeah. might be in Canada. For some reason, I don't know what it is with Canadians love to give cake gifts. And we want you to give that person a cake for their birthday. Can you please remove your branding? We know what we're doing now. And we'll mm -hmm. gift, we, we have gift cakes. So I target an international audience, even though I'm London-based. Fantastic. And do you have a team or is it, is it just you still? You know, it's, one, it's funny. I have kind of have a team, but I've, this is the thing. The math side, the figure side, just come in hand with my business. Because mm -hmm. you're caught to me. When you get to that point where you think, I can have a shop. I can have a bakery. I can have that many people working for me. And I thought, don't want to have a shop. Don't want to have a bakery. Don't want to have a, Because... Your expenses to me, I need my profit margins to look. I need I need my business to look healthy. And it occurred to me that hold on, you can outsource. So recently I started baking more again, but for years I didn't even bake. You mm -hmm. go to a company, you teach them how to make your cakes, you get mm -hmm. them to sign very solid confidentiality agreements, and they bake for you. So rather than me employing somebody and having a bakery, which will really eat into my profit. Mm -hmm. I have source that job. So that means what? If during COVID, I don't need as much, I don't need to worry about making people redundant. Mm -hmm. I don't need to worry about any of that kind of commitment. I will just order less. You see, we were very busy during COVID because we had a lot of people just wanting cakes to take that picture to post on Instagram. But mm -hmm. I have source than that i get administrative help so my team in answer to your question i have one solid person who helps with like administration and all that but i outsource a lot because it's so much more cost effective it's less paperwork because once you employ a lot of people you then go into that thing but the mm -hmm. downside with the type of with my type of business is this in as much as i love my business and all that one of the downside is it's a creative business which means this People say, why don't you have 50 different branches? Do I know 50 people who make the kind of, they have the kind of gift that I have to make those type of cakes? No, I don't. And the people who do, they want their own business. They're not coming to work for you. So that's the downside of the nature of this business. The thing with creative people is there's only one of you in terms mm -hmm. of that degree of creativity. For me to expand my business, I will need to change the business model completely. So for me to expand my business, I will, for example, need to have 10 or 20 cakes that I make. And those cakes will need to be standard, not necessarily creative. It has to be done in a way that with a template which anybody will be able to walk in, 
you spend half an hour with them and they can repeat those cakes. So the creative element will go. It will be just a certain amount of cakes, just repeated all the time, maybe change the name and that type of thing. Because I, I don't have, there's only one of me. Mm. And the thing with that second business that I mentioned, it doesn't appeal to me mm. at all. It's not who I am. I am more best book, more designer style. So the business, will it grow horizontally? I'm not sure. I will need to change the business model completely. And do I want that? No. So the other, mm. it will go vertically. I will stay as I am, but just go up with it. But mm -hmm. as in answer to the reason, I, I am a hobbyist. I'm somebody who, in as much as I did maths for so long and I enjoyed doing maths and I can put those emotions in check, I've been spoiled. Now I do something that I love doing. Will I ever be able to do something again just so I get paid? I don't know. I don't think so. I think mm -hmm. once you've done something where you're earning money, I bet it's the same for you. You're earning money for something that you so enjoy doing. It's mm -hmm. really difficult to step outside of that arena. So I can mm -hmm. imagine down the line maybe making more like celebrity cakes, but the business model of the unique, the best book, the boutique style business, I love. And that has been my success. It has worked. I've, it has worked in an environment where a lot of people have failed, you know? Statistics mm -hmm. shows that I think 90% of businesses in the United Kingdom fail in the first, what is it, year or so? So I've, mm -hmm. I've built something that worked and I like it. So my goal is to keep it as it is and just grow horizontally. I love the clarity that you have about the type of business that you want to build because that's really important. It's like some people end up building businesses where they are just slaves to the business or they're just full-time employees of their own company and they don't love it and they can't get out of it. And then there's on the other side, there's also like sometimes when you have a business, there's always this pressure to scale, grow, 10x, you know, all this kind of thing. And you can end up building a business that doesn't give you that satisfaction and that love that you spoke about. So I think that's really, really, really inspirational how you've been very kind of sticking to what you love and what works and then just doing more of the same. We are going to round up real soon, but I just want to shift real quickly to visibility because one of the things I put in the show notes for this is like, you're one of the most invisible, visible <laughs> women that I know. And basically, your cake and your work speaks for you. Is that where you would describe yourself as being? Yes, uh, that is exactly how I describe myself as being. And I've got away with it for so long, but I've got to be honest with you. My social media team, again, like I said to you, I outsource. So those things, I don't need to have a full-time employee to do it. My social media team have told me repetitively, I need to, with TikTok and all that, I need to be more visible. As you go, if you go on my Instagram page or you go on my business Facebook page, you don't see me at all. All you see are cakes after cakes after cakes after cakes. And um, they have told me repetitively. And I think my period of enjoying that luxury is probably going to come to some, at least... They said at least one every 10 cakes should have the person that it's so much more personal mm -hmm. when people know who you are. So my goal in the next two, three months is to at least have one, even if I'm just standing behind a wedding cake, they've told me, and just take it. So people will, they're not realizing it. They're not asking for it, but the odds are unconsciously, they're thinking, who are the people making all these cakes? Mm -hmm. So I've got to go with it for years, Mildred, because that's exactly how I like it. But I don't know if that's coming to a natural end. <laughs> <laughs> we need to talk about you being more visible, Elaine. <laughs>
No, I love it. And I think it, it will add that extra bit, especially as you have such an amazing story in terms of your career journey and the love and the passion that you have for the work that you do. I think that needs to be heard because looking at your Instagram and your Facebook, it's like, wow. And by the way, we'll share the links in the show notes. Go and check out Elaine's website, Instagram, everything. The, her cakes are amazing to look at. So I think your story I feel like there's so much more that we can talk about in this conversation, but um, I love how you've shared with us your journey, your transition from career to business and like the insights into how you've built that successful business. So what would be your top advice to somebody listening right now who's been inspired by this conversation? Maybe they've been feeling kind of a tug, you know, to do more with their side hustle maybe or to grow their business in a different way. I want to experience more success with my business, but I also want to love what I'm doing in my business. How can I make them both happen at the same time? Yeah. You see, I think your business is going to work better if it's an extension of who you are. Unless you're doing a partnership, in which case the personality is diluted. But if you're doing a sole business like we are doing, it's literally an extension of who you are. For example, you you buying drinks and you're just selling it on. You're doing something like that, which is not really creative. It's not really personal. I promise you who you are will come across in that business. And you have to be true to who you are. If you're somebody, say, for example, my younger brother, he's the exact opposite of me. He's not very detailed. He's not very luxury. He's cheap and cheerful. And he will tell you that straight off. And he says that he has a business entirely, which is working so well, because I call it, it's the cheap and cheerful business. He's found something that works with who he is. And it's so easy for him to do it because he's not contradictory to his, who he is. And then my second point is this. You have to listen to your clients. The easiest way to grow a successful business is for your clients to hold your hands and tell you where they want to go. Because you can set up a business in your head, which is so amazing and it grows and this is definitely going to work and this and that. Unless your clients agree with you, even if you have three clients, they are your clients. What do they want? What do they seem to be leaning towards? What do they like about your business? Some, a lot of times what your clients are going to like about your business, probably not even what you like. But if you let your clients escort you into your next moves, it's almost impossible to fail because you're listening to what people want rather than designing what you think will work. And you can get it really wrong. I got, how wrong did I get it? My plan was my little squire with those kids running around. But my business clients took my hands and escorted me into an area that I never saw coming. So you have to respond to your clients. Well, we're all ready to attend your business workshop seminar when you host it. <laughs> I am definitely, you know what, Milia, the answer to your question, probably for the year end, I'm going to tell what people ask me the most. How do you go, what are the secrets to get into that luxury market? That mm-hmm. would be the ideal thing for me to do it on. Fantastic. Now, I definitely believe that there will be lots of demand for that kind of training. That is amazing. Elaine, it has been so good, so good having this conversation with you. You know, we're definitely going to continue offline, you know, and before I let you go, can you tell us how we can find you? What's the best place to reach you? Of course. So we designed the Cakes of London, if you missed that. We're on Instagram, as the name implies. After every word, there's a dot. So it's designer.cake.london.co.uk. And we're also on Facebook. You can just do a search and we'll come up. Our email, it's sales at designercakesoflondon.co.uk. Of course, if you need a cake, it will be an honor 
to make a cake for one of millions of listeners. Well, I love it. Elaine, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. You've been listening to the Start Be Invisible podcast with me, Mildred Talavi. If you're a female leader or a woman in business and you're ready to start your own journey to be invisible on LinkedIn and beyond, get in touch with me via LinkedIn or reach out to me through my website at startbeinvisible.com. Now, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your way out and I'll see you next week for another five episodes.